Good evening, I'm Matthew Frost and welcome to another episode of Fully Scored Live. And we've got a very exciting episode this evening for you indeed. It is our 10th ever episode. That's a lot more anticlimactic doing that in a, a room on your own than it would seem. But we've certainly got an exciting episode. If you haven't watched any of our other episodes so far, you can scroll down the music editorial Facebook page to watch some of our other live ones. And you can also listen to our, all our podcasts in podcast form, um, naturally, on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts and Acast. And all of our live podcasts as well will be um, changed into that format as well for you to listen to. Now, on this episode, we're going to be talking to Paul Drury a little bit later about his piece, Jubilee. But before that, it gives me great pleasure to welcome our first guest onto this episode. Now, all our guests on this podcast have been uh, had a real impact on the landscape of Salvation Army music making. And our first guest this evening is no exception to that at all. She was for many years the principal cornet of the Chicago Staff Band and is a real innovator and inspirator, uh, ins inspirer, inspirator, not a word, is it? Um, and I believe our first ever guest to have been awarded the Order of the Founder. Peggy Thomas, it's a great pleasure to welcome you onto Fully Scored. Yes, I'm honoured to be here. Thank you. Great. And thank you ever so much for giving up your time. I hope you're keeping well. I'm, I'm fine. Thank you. Brilliant stuff. And... Uh, Let's get the interview started, shall we? <laughs> okay. All right. So um, there are some of your accolades uh, mentioned just then, but uh, let's take a little delve into history and look at where it all began. Um, who or what was your inspiration um, to take up learning the cornet? Well, um, my father was a fine cornet player and um, I was an only child, so... Uh, whatever he did, I did. He played cornet, I played cornet. If he played, you know, he played golf, I played golf. He played basketball, I played basketball. So he went, it was just sort of, um, he was just sort of my idol, if you will. And and whatever he did, you know, when you're your only child, it's just sort of, you just try to become that. So, but he was the first. And so you mentioned cornet playing, golf playing and uh, basketball. Which are your favorite? Uh, which one of those is your favorite? Well, um, I really, I did really enjoy golf. I was, I got to be pretty good, but I quit when I was around 12. So yeah, none of my friends were doing golf. So and they weren't playing cornet either. So it, did, it just really didn't make any difference, but. And I'm sure those of you, uh, those listening that have heard you play will agree that you, you made the right choice to stick on cornet. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit about your journey to faith? Um, well, my parents are officers, and uh, obviously I grew up in the Army then, and uh, I accepted Christ as a young child, and um, as, you know, as you, you know, I did all the usual Army things, corps cadets, and I played in the band and everything, and, and um, you know, while I believed, I don't think really, I, I really bought in until probably the end of college. I was, I was, um, I was at a point in life where I just felt like uh, I'm not sure I'm in the right place. I don't really want to do with my future. I was at, I was a student at Eastman and uh, I was training to be an orchestral um, player. And I just wasn't, I was I just wasn't convinced that's really what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. So, um, you know, I thought it maybe be time to, you know, ask the Lord in terms of what, what does he want me to do? And so I was at CMI and I knelt at the altar and the person that came to pray with me was the staff band master's wife. And um, she guided through, guided me through, you know, you know, possibly going to moving to Chicago, going to Northwestern and possibly trying to get into the staff band. And she encouraged me if I felt that that's really what the Lord wanted me to do uh, in that direction that I, she encouraged me to come. So, so I did, and it's sort of the, re the rest is history there, but um, she told me not to tell her husband, but that, that's another story. He wouldn't have been happy that she was encouraging me at that point. But then later on, I, I, uh, I felt like as I was maturing and, you know, married and as a mother, I really, really felt that I should um, do something I'm much more with my devotional life. I, you know, I, I was doing things, but I, I just felt like I needed to get in the word more. So I, uh, I joined Bible Study Fellowship, which is uh, a great organization it's all over the world. 
And, um, you know, that really helped me to get into the word and, and know the word better. And obviously that helps my faith. Um, and then I would say the last thing is I attended a conference at Willow Creek Church, which is a large mega church in the, the outskirts of Chicago. I, I went to a conference there and, I, and I'll probably talk about more about it later, but um, that really changed my life in terms of my ministry and, and my faith there. Um, I saw things that I, that I and experienced things that that just really opened my eyes, and um, it really set me on a trajectory to a really a different kind of ministry, if you will. And um, and so that's that was just sort of a short overview of my faith, my faith journey. Great, thank you so much, and that's great to hear. Uh, something I forgot to mention in the opening is if any of our listeners have any questions yourself Peggy or Paul later in the interview please type those in the comments and we'll have a little bit of time uh, near the end of the podcast to answer any of those. My next question for you um, you were the first ever female staff band member worldwide uh, when you joined the Chicago staff band in 1976. Could you tell us a little bit about the journey that you had to go on to be appointed to the band? Well as I said I moved in Chicago I got into Northwestern and I wanted to study with Vince Chickowitz. He was a very popular teacher at the time. A lot, of, a lot of kids wanted to study with him. So I got into the school there. And then when I moved to Chicago, my parents were actually stationed in Chicago. My dad was the field secretary. It's now called the personnel secretary. And uh, so he was a THQ and part of the cabinet. And um, so when I arrived, I, you know, I obviously wanted to, to up, apply for the staff band. And when we inquired, we were we were told that you don't you don't ask to be in the band, you're invited. So um, my dad was able to get an application, and so um, after some few days, and and finally we filled out the the forms and everything, and uh, they took it to band board, and I think they had several band board meetings about it, and they just felt that um, they shouldn't. First of all, they voted no. Uh, there was only one person on the board that voted yes. Everybody else voted no. And they felt, though, that um, because I was a, you know, decent player, et cetera, et cetera, that and it, but it was a huge precedent for the world if, if we start letting allowing women to be in staff bands. So it moved up to the chief for a decision and it, he moved it up to the, the TC and then uh, the TC sent it to the chief of the staff. So um, after a period of time, it came back. The chief of the staff agreed that I should be admitted to the band. And um, so, you know, I was told that that I would be become part of the band, and I was also told that um, my first rehearsal uh, would be such and such, and that I should come 45 minutes late. Um, the bandmaster, uh, who was Ron Rowland at the time, wanted to talk to the band. I don't know what about, but for he talked to them for about 45 minutes, and then I sort of made my entrance, and it was the most awkward moment of my life, and. <laughs> Um, it, it, you know, it was, you could hear a pin drop, but it, but the band was very welcoming in the end and, and it, it was fine. We did have a few that quit, um, some, you know, convenient retirements, if you will, and things like that. But, uh, and that was disappointing, but, you know, it's, uh, you know, it was just, that, that's really sort of how it all, all began. And I guess the bill came about a year later and um, the band started to do really, really well. And we, you know, people stepped up to those positions that, that um, were, were, you know, where people quit. So we were good. What, what a journey. And uh, my ears picked up when you mentioned uh, Vincent Chickowitz. I still use his lyrical and flow studies in my, my daily warm up. Some great music and exercise. He's <laughs> a great teacher. Fantastic. Um, now, it's really hard, especially for someone of my generation to believe, but when you were part of the staff band, uh, there were some core cool bands back here in the UK that wouldn't even allow women to be part of the band, which is unbelievable, really, in today's age. Um, did you ever experience any prejudice for being a female in what was a very male-dominated world at that time? Yeah, I think anytime you are first to do anything, um, you experience sort of negative forces. Um, and I certainly did, and 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 it was you know from the moment I started playing in some ways, but um, the, you know I I I had a like for instance I had a, a conductor at the orchestral conductor at Eastman School of Music tell me you know he would never ever allow a, a principal trumpet for his orchestra at school. So 
you know, I'm here, I am, I'm paying a lot of money to go to school. I'm, I want to learn how to play, you know, you know the repertoire and uh, I'm told that, you know, not, there's no way. So, so there, there were things like that, but I think, the, I think the thing that bothered me the most was, uh, I'll just give you a story. We, I, when I was in Rochester at Eastman, yeah, I was very close to the Canadian border. And up there, there, they had a lot of, a lot of really, really good bands, core bands. And most of them, almost all of them were still male. But they would invite me up as a soloist and it was sort of a novelty. I always thought, you know, it was sort of a circus act. Oh, she can triple tongue, you know, things like that. So, so I would go up and do the weekend. And back then it would be Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday, you know, just the whole weekend. So by the time that you're done, I'm, I've played nine solos or, or, you know, some ridiculous amount of repertoire. But that particular weekend, um, I was billeted at the Bandmaster's home and at, at lunch on Sunday, um, you know, he would always defend, well, I don't, you know, we don't have room and I have 50 in my band, you know, I don't have any more room for any more, let alone any women, you know, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, so that afternoon in the program, the youth band was on duty and they decided to promote two young bandsmen to the senior band. And um, the youth band was in the front and the senior band was on the stage. They had this big ceremony, these two kids stood up, we all applauded and watched them go up to the stage. Well, cornet number one stood up and cornet number three stood up. And uh, they both, and it was fine, but cornet number two was a little girl. And, um, and so at dinner that night, I, you know, he said, it wasn't it great to include you know, to see so-and-so come in the senior band. And I, you know, I finally spoke up. I said, no, you know, it really wasn't. I mean, yeah, it's great that kids are going into the youth band, but what do you think that little girl was thinking while number three stood up and number, and that's just the way it was. And it, that's, it was tragic because I think we lost generations of players because we just didn't give them a chance. And I think it would be fair to say that you've helped to inspire the next few generations of female brass players. However, unfortunately, if you look around uh, many bands, there is still an overwhelming majority of men. Uh, in your opinion, how do you think we can encourage more female brass players and also composers uh, to continue to create more balance and equality in this sector? Well, I think they have to see them. I think they have to see women in our best sections, in our staff bands, and, and uh I think that uh, women have to step up to the plate and be, a, be good enough to be in those groups. Um, I think they need to be given leadership roles, um, but uh, very often, uh, you know, when I think, yeah, when I became a bandmaster, there were two men that really believed in me and, get, and thought I, I could possibly do this role. So it takes some men to believe in women that, you know, to encourage us. To, um, to 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 try things. Obviously, the younger the young when kids are young, both young boys and girls should be given the same opportunities, the same training, and and I, I think that's happening. I you know I don't I don't think that it's at least here it's not it's it's the norm. Whoever wants to play gets to play. Fantastic stuff. Uh, my next question for your for you is uh, deliberately quite a loaded question. Um, do you think your faith enhances your playing or does your music making enhance your faith well i think i think it's both and i think they both complement one another i think the you know if i were to play a solo share my yoga if i know the words uh, it, it impacts it impacts the way i play it um and, and, and um i think it enhances it and when and you do the reverse where um there are times where i've played a piece uh, and it uh, it just it, it impacts me spiritually, therefore enhancing my faith. I think I think they both so go sort of go hand in hand. Great. And uh, Salvationist or not, Jubilance is probably one of the most well-known cornet solos uh, around today. A uh, fantastic solo, and of course, is originally written for yourself by William Hines. Uh, could you briefly just tell us the story behind that solo and where it came from? Sure. Um, it was written in 1987, my, and I asked Bill if he would uh, write a solo for me for my dad's retirement. Um, the staff band was going to be on duty, and I thought it might be nice if, if I could do something new. And he agreed to do that. The, 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 uh, the retirement was in March. Um, we, also that year, we were scheduled to go to the UK on a tour, 
and we were doing roll at Albert Hall. And I was, and so, um, so the plan was whatever solo he would write, I would probably play in Royal Albert Hall. So, um, so he didn't get it done for my dad's retirement, but he did get it done around May for the May trip before we, June when we left. And um, yeah, it's just, it's a great, great solo. And uh, in terms of the actual um, writing of the piece, he, he did all that in terms of picking the tunes. Um, he had something in mind and he didn't, he didn't, in other words, he didn't ask me my favorite tune or anything like that. It was just all him. And um, it's, it's just, it's really a, a great piece and both inside and outside the army. I think it's, it's, it's a real winner. Absolutely. I completely agree with you there. And of course, during your time um, as principal cornet of the Chicago Stuff Band, you didn't just play Jubilance, uh, but was Jubilance your favorite solo to stand up and play with a band or was there another that was your, your favorite perhaps? Well, I, I, you know, asking me my favorites, anything is like asking me, you know, uh, who is my, which is my favorite son. I, I just have, I had a group of solos that I played that I just loved. Um, uh, I, I'll just give you a few of them there. I love songs in the heart. Um, I think that's just a lovely solo for the, for that era. And I think it just is such a beautiful piece. I love Jubilance, obviously. I really like Joyous Song. I thought that was just a really exciting number. And same thing with Song of Exaltation. Those two have lovely melodies in the middle. And uh, and I just really love that, love those, those two. They had a lot of energy, just like Jubilance. I like, I like things like that that have just a lot of energy. I tend to have a more energetic sound and you know, not, not necessarily trumpet, but it just, you know, that, that sort of drive in my sound. So they just, I, you know, I, those are those are solos that really sort of fit me. And we could talk for hours and hours about your playing and your time in the Chicago Staff Band, but of course that's just a small part of your music making and uh, your time in the Salvation Army. So I think now we're going to touch upon a few different aspects of okay. your life as well. So as well as a player, um, you're the deputy bandmaster of the Chicago Staff Band and were for many years the bandmaster of the Norwich Corps Bands near Chicago. Where did you learn your craft in conducting? Was this whilst you were studying music or was there any other events that significantly, significantly influenced that? Well, you know, I, I took a lot of conducting classes at both Eastman and, and Northwestern, but I never dreamed I'd ever use them. You know, back then I, you know, I was barely able to, to play in, in a lot of places. So, um, so I never really dreamed that it would be something I would do. I loved it, but I just never thought that I would. So um, when I was asked to become bandmaster um, and I took it on, um, you know, I did, there was no bandmaster course or anything like that to take. So, you know, I immediately went to the ONR and, and the ONR I went to frequently in terms of the band, the, you know, the band ONR because it told me what I, what I should be as a bandmaster and as a, as a band and, and, the, and those types of things. But it didn't tell me how. It didn't tell me how to, to do those things. And so, um, you know, I, was, I started looking around just trying to get, you know, find influence of, of organizations and how they, and I noticed that the Home League had this fourfold mission statement. And I, so I, I decided to sort of steal that concept. And so I decided that, you know, if I'm going to be doing this, there's four areas of, of, of things that I need to cover. And that's worship, evangelism, service, and fellowship. So everything filtered through that. Everything that I did filtered through that. So um, if, it, if it didn't fit, then I didn't do it. And so that really sort of helped me sort of focus in terms of um, uh, how, what direction I was going on. Then I went to this Willow Creek conference, which I've already spoke about. And I saw, I saw um, drama, unbelievable drama, unbelievable media, um, a studio orchestra where I heard brass and, and rhythm and guitars that just that really lovely sound that I've never really noticed before. And they, they did a lot of secular themes on sermons and they're just, I was just intrigued by, by everything they do. And, and, and that particular conference really changed uh, the future of my ministry. You know, I came back to the core and I immediately, you know, at, at Willow Creek, they, they had a lot of media with music. And so I thought, well, I could do that. I, you know, I, I could put media with the band. And, and so, um, so, you know, I, I, I did that uh, first really. And, and I just really felt that, 
uh, one of the things they taught was was the more senses you incorporate in in your in in your ministry in the, in terms of your music um, or or arts, uh, the more the deeper it goes. That is, you know, for the five senses, if if on, there's sight and there's sound and there's smell and there's taste and there's touch, and what they're basically saying is, if you just play a piece. Um, it's good. It'll be, it's fine. It can be beautiful. But if you add words on the screen, um, th then it becomes far more meaningful and deep. F so let me just give you an example. So if I'm playing, I know they aren't mine. I'm playing, you know, I put the words of the first verse up and the appropriate time. And then the second verse that I, I know, I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. That's the, that's the second verse. And then the third verse was in mansions of glory, but I don't, I won't use that verse. I'm going to put up a video of Christ on the cross. And so during that whole lovely third section where it's just so triumphant, I'm watching Jesus die on the cross. And then as the piece ends, um, I, I leave a still up for with Jesus on the cross. And then at the very end, put up the words, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. And I'm telling you that that is a deeper experience than just hearing it and so um it's just it's just one of those things that influenced me and it influenced my my media my my mission so so the core band became my lab i started trying all sorts of things and uh and there's just there were just a lot of different things that that worked and didn't work so the things that worked i took back to the department um, fascinating and innovative stuff there you mentioned about engaging all the uh, centres there. I'm sure that anyone that sat on the very front row of a band concert in the, in the scorching summer heat when the band's in their festival tunics might have uh, seen got a bit of the sense of smell as well, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that one that may be good. <laughs> that, that leads really nicely into my next question for you. Um, in your time as bandmaster at Norwich Corps, um, you made many recordings of the band. Now, one I'd particularly like to talk to you about tonight, because it's, it's quite different, is the Beatles' theology, uh, a very unique concept indeed. Could you tell us a bit about this concept and why you think it's important that Salvation Army bands bridge this uh, gap between sacred and secular music? Yeah, um, the, the whole secular idea, obviously, the founder said, why should the devil have all the best tunes? Um, I think there's merit in thinking about that. You know, at that conference I talked to about Willow Creek, they were doing a series, um, a sermon series, and the, the titles were, what would Jesus say to Bill Clinton? What would Jesus say to Michael Jordan? What would Jesus say to the Cubs, the Chicago Cubs? What would, he, what would Jesus say to Madonna? Now, I don't know about you, but that intrigues me. That draws me in that I would, I'd be curious to hear, even, you know, as a Christian or non-Christian, either one, I think I'm, I'm curious. And, and so um, the Beatles CD sort of comes, comes along with that sort of concept where um, I want to draw people in. I want to draw people to my, re, my CD, which explains the gospel. And so at that particular time, um, we were, uh, the Beatles had sort of resurrected, and 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 uh, in the United States, it was very they they were doing all reproducing all their CDs again, and it was called the Beatles Anthology, and you could buy all the all their CDs all at once, etc. And so I thought maybe maybe I would do a CD called the Beatles Theology, and the concept was, um, you know, the, the the words from the Beatles tunes, like for instance, the song "Help, I Need Somebody." The idea was then that we're confronted with uh, a response, a Christian response would be, well, you need Jesus Christ. And so we would play like Jesus Christ Superstar. Or, or there's another tune on there was help, I need somebody. And there's a line in that song that says, let me know the way. And so the response was Psalm 23, the crimin. So we would play crimin. So it was just sort of back and forth, back and forth. And it was a giveaway. It was not, you know, we did sell it at trade and things like that. But um, it was a giveaway. The idea was you could take it to, to work as, as a, a bandsman or whatever and give it to somebody and it just starts a conversation. And um, so, so yeah, it, it, was a, it was a very popular thing to do. And the thing is I did two, two Beatles CDs. One was 
the one I just spoke about. And then I did another one that where a, another core uh, could, buy it, could buy it and use it as an evangelism tool from their core. So I redid the booklets and it left a blank page. So if your core wanted to use it, you would fill in your core information on that blank page. You'd staple it, put the, put the CD in the, the, the booklet in the box. And, and there's no, not a, there's my name isn't on it. The Norwich name wasn't on it. It just becomes your CD. And I was selling those for $2. I just basically making five cents by just by cost. And so they just I, I, I mailed promos to every every core in the in the country and Canada, and they started like selling like crazy. And um, someone in the, in one of the other territories got upset that I wasn't that I was selling to their territory. And um, you know, as usual, the letters go back and forth from the, the two chief secretaries, and I was shut down. So I was no no longer allowed to sell it. So. But in that the brief time that I so sold those, I sold about 10,000. Fantastic. It's great to hear about that innovation. And the last uh, sort of aspect of your life that uh, we have time to talk about this evening is a bit about your time um, at the Music and Creative Arts Department in Chicago. Now, during this time, uh, one of the concepts you came up with was the Hallelujah Choruses. And uh, if you talk to anyone in the UK about the Hallelujah Chorus, they'll probably jump to thinking of Handel's Messiah. Uh, but yeah. the Hallelujah choruses are, are quite different. Uh, for those listeners that aren't familiar with that resource, could you give a brief overview of these and what the inspiration was behind their conception? Yeah, in, in, the, in the late 80s, the praise and worship music movement was alive and well, and I wanted to be part of it. And I wanted my core band to be part of it, but there was no repertoire, there's no music uh, for us to play. Um, at that time, you know, the only, there was no accompaniments for choruses in the back of the songbook. It was just the songs. So um, I immediately sort of set out to uh, try try to uh, come up with some music that it, that uh, included the the uh, guitars and the rhythm sections. And so um, I went to a person who who was very knowledgeable in the contemporary. Um, music field, Christian music field at that time, and that was Chris Jadis. He was a good friend. We grew up in St. Louis at the same core, played in youth band together, and he's a well, he's a fantastic player. And so I, I, I invited him to uh, do this, be the soloist on the CD. And so he introduced me to a guy in St. Louis who was a music director, name was Bill and Sierra, and he, um, he had a church of nine thousand, and and he had a great rhythm section, praise band, things like that. So. We, we uh, combined and he wrote five tunes for, for a CD called Trumpet of Jesus. Um, but the, the, those tunes I wanted to sell in the end, but they were really, really hard. Um, you know, we wrote for guitars, so we were, the brass were in six, seven sharp. So they were just really too, too difficult. So, we, so once that was done, we sort of recalculated and I said, okay, we need to back off and do something much similar simpler. So um, we decided to uh, just to do four part at the, that time, four or five part uh, brass. And I talked to Bill Broughton to see if he would do 20 arrangements from the back of the songbook, um, the chorus arrangements. And he agreed. And so that was the first Hallelujah Chorus CD. And, and you know, I, I wish I hadn't called it that uh, it, because it was choruses, uh, you know, and the whole Hallelujah thing was sort of an army thing. And I just a play on words. But I, I wish I hadn't called it that now, but but because it is confusing. But anyway, so the, the, the series is really is really flexible. Um, you know, there's there's a, a, the CD, which if a core doesn't have any music, they you know, you can do the CD. There's accompaniment or you, you can sing along with the singers um, and the brass obviously was five part plus it stands alone, but you can add rhythm section to it, which is uh, the purpose of it. And um, we also have some lyric videos, which are now available, which they're trying to finish all, all 290 of those. Um, and then there's another part of the series called Praise Back that not too many people know. And that's actually for the Praise Band. And that's scored for Praise Band plus three-part brass plus SAB vocals. And then that evolved into a SAB songster book. So um, it's quite flexible and there's just a lot of parts and pieces to it as it's evolved over the years. But it's, it's really been helpful in, the, in these COVID days when we were doing, when we're doing these online services because 
you know, if it's small ensembles, you can you, you pretty much do whatever you want. Great. I mean, it's, it's been wonderful to speak to you. And uh, unfortunately, we, we don't have that much time left. But my, my okay. last of these more serious questions to you, and hopefully um, in about the last two minutes, it's coming a bit more up to date. How are you, self, uh, how are you keeping yourself busy now in retirement? Well, I'm um, I'm still doing some worship series that I, I did for the Department for Advent and Lent. I'm still there. Actually, I'm consulting on that. And and the other thing I'm doing is um, the territorial music secretaries in the in the United States and Canada have determined that they would like to do some online uh, leadership tutorials for music and arts. And um, each the, the territories have divided up the projects. And our territory is doing beginning brass and worship. And Beth Malavance is doing the beginning brass uh, class, and I'm doing the worship tutorial. So I'm I'm working on that, and it's a four. It's pretty much a four part uh, sort of series, if you will, and um, it ends with how to start a worship committee, and uh, uh, that's that's growing here. I don't know if you have any of those over in in the UK, but. Uh, we had our our music our uh, music council last night, and there's about 12 members, and it's it's the officers and the bandmaster, songwriter, leader, piano player, media person, just every every, and we all get together and we plan, you know, we we make plans for the series and talk about and brainstorm, and so it really has enhanced our worship. So, um, it, that's that's sort of what I'm, you know, in terms of the army, I'm 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 doing a lot of taking care of my grandchildren too, which is wonderful, but. But anyway, that's what I'm doing. Oh, that's great to hear. You're still innovating and still inspiring even today. So um, unfortunately, that brings us to the close of our more serious section of the interview. Yes. But of course, those that have listened to the podcast before know that this means we're now going to venture into our quirky quickfire questions. Now, the first two of these questions maybe aren't so quirky, but some of the later ones certainly will be so my first one is um ken said last week on our podcast this is a tricky question since it's like choosing your favorite child but have you got a favorite salvation army composer um no i don't but i have a, I, you know obviously eric ball will Heaton, those you know those are wonderful and i have to give i have to say you know working for bill for all those years and listening to all the music that he's created from jericho revisited to you know um all the hymn tunes, hymn tunes that he's song accompaniments he's given the army, um, you know, to the big numbers, you know, marches and things like that. It's just been, I mean, it's just, it's just a, he's made a tremendous contribution to the army. I think, I don't know, um, a Sunday doesn't go by my core hardly ever that we don't play something by Bill. So I, that's just a, that's just a real real treat. Um, the person that I am always intrigued with is Ken Downey. Um, as I study his scores and, and, uh, and listen to um, the sounds and, and the warmth of the chords and things, I don't know what he does. I'm not a composer, but it's just different. And it's beautiful, you know, in perfect peace or variations on Prince Thorpe. I just, I really love as a musician, it, you know, is it, I just uh, love the sounds he produces. Um, it's just gorgeous. And to narrow it down even further to make it a little bit trickier, have you got a favorite uh, specific piece from the repertoire? Well, once again, I, I'll, I'll give you the piece that um, as when I, you know, I was bandmaster for a long time, like 35 years, there is one piece that this isn't necessarily my favorite piece, but there is one piece that always um, just electrified an audience and that is Fire in the Blood. Um, it, it, without fail, uh, you could put that on every concert and it was, it was a huge hit, we, you know, until when we played it in staff band, the audience is up, upstanding, you know, yelling immediately after the, the you know, so, um, you know that piece the band loved to play the it has a great message and the audience love it and that's 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 sort of a winner for me in terms of programming um but it's just i there wasn't anything like it that i that i, I can't compare any any response to that piece like that like what happened every time and now on to our slightly more quirky of the questions oh, if you could magically teleport to anywhere around the world instantly where would you go first 
Well, I think I'd go to LA because my granddaughter's there, my son and daughter-in-law. I'd love love to see them, especially it's been a long time because of the virus and everything. Yeah. Um, and Chicago is internationally renowned for its deep dish pizzas. And it's making me hungry just thinking about it. If you had to design your own dream pizza, what would the toppings be? Just um, pepperoni. That's it. Playing it safe. <laughs> um, would you rather be able to dispense cold ice cream from your nose or hot coffee from your ear? <laughs> really? Um, well, ice cream, I guess, <laughs> from my nose. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> Um, have you ever been to a carnival in Venice? Uh, no. Um, if you could compete in any sport from the Winter Olympics, what sport would it be? I would love to. I would love to ski. Nice. I I have I have two knee replacements, so maybe I'd do bobsled. But that's <laughs> where I'm sitting. But yeah, I love skiing. Uh, great stuff. If you were to host your own cookery show on primetime TV, uh, what would you call the show? Well, um, I'd call it Mick Thomas. Nice. Very good. And what would your signature <laughs> on Mick Thomas be? Say that again? Uh, what would your signature dish on Mick Thomas be? I would have to say hamburger. Nice. Very good. Um, <laughs> If you could have any animal as a pet, what animal would you choose? A dog, hands down, dog. Uh, which of these would you like, uh, least like to encounter? A werewolf, an alien, or a vampire? I guess a, were a werewolf would be good. <laughs> All three, I, I don't know, a werewolf, that's good. How do you? <laughs> My very final question for uh -huh. you, which is your favorite ISS, the International Space Station or the International Staff Songsters? Oh, the Staff Songsters. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Thank you ever so much, Peggy. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. As I said, we could have talked for hours and hours, but it's been great to have a brief overview of some of the things you've done over the years. Thank you. It's been an honor. If you stick around, uh, we'll be putting your band's knowledge to the test at the end of the podcast. Okay, great. Okay. <laughs> so at this point in the podcast, it gives me great pleasure to welcome our second guest onto the podcast for this evening. And our second guest tonight is uh, coming all the way from the international region of Scotland. And it's great to welcome Paul Drury to the podcast. Well, I can't see Paul, but uh, I, I did see him pop up for a second, but he's, he's disappeared now. I was, so. I was there the it, it tells me the host has stopped my video and I'm oh. going to start my video now. So hopefully I'm with you. I'm a, can you see me? I can see you now, which is good, great. Good. Probably takes a little while for the signals to reach Scotland, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah abs absolutely. There are border checks, obviously. <laughs> uh, so. Right. And it's, uh, thank you ever so much again for giving up your time to come on this evening. I hope you're keeping well. I'm very well, thank you. And hope you are too. Oh, not too bad, thank you. It's been a bit more of a sunny day today. It makes all the difference. <laughs> so we're going to be speaking to you about your quick march tonight, Jubilee. I'm sure many of our listeners will be familiar with the piece. Uh, if they're not familiar with it or don't realise they're familiar with it, it's, of course, the tune that we use in the background for all our band mastermind episodes. Um, so my first question about the piece is, uh, could you tell us a little bit about where the initial inspiration for the piece came? It was it was quite simple, really. Uh, at the time I wrote the piece, I was uh, a member of the band at Edinburgh Gorgie, uh, and I was deputy bandmaster at the time. And uh, the band was having its band centenary, 1997 or eight, 1998, I think. And uh, I said to the bandmaster, "What about uh, I write?" the band of March for, for, for its centenary. And he said, yeah, yeah, let's, let's, let's do that. And so, hence the reason I went for something that was quite joyful, quite uh, light, celebratory, and also hence, uh, hence the name, uh, you know, because obviously centenary is a form of Jubilee celebration. Excellent. A very appropriate one on our 
deck scenery uh, at <laughs> I don't know how you say it for 10 episodes to be talking about a jubilee. <laughs> um, so it's written as a quick march. What was the thinking behind writing it in the style of a quick march, uh, something that isn't as common in our, our repertoire marches, rather than just a standard march? I guess, I guess I called it a quick march because I'm pretty certain in those days, maybe in these days, I wouldn't get away in Salvation Army circles with calling it a circus march, but it's a circus march. Uh, I, 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 I love circus marches. Uh, two uh, two favourites of mine, uh, the Midwest March, I remember buying one of my ever, first ever CDs, 1985, uh, Black Dyke Mills, uh, 150 years of, of uh, Black Dyke Band, and, and they played uh, they played the Midwest March on that, and and I thought that was that was great. All these kind of running semiquavers up the way and down the way, and and you know uh, top of the band against the bottom of the band, that sort of thing. And I I thought the Salvation Army needs something like that because, to my knowledge, we didn't have one. So it was marches like. Midwest and the circus marches of Carol King and, and marches like the Waltonian uh, from you know like the contesting sphere that, that I was really trying to trying to emulate uh, in the style. Great stuff. So it's great to hear some of those influences to the piece there. So um, Jubilee was published back in 2003. Doesn't sound that long ago, but it is quite a while now. Um, however, I believe <laughs> you wrote it um, in 1998. Uh, whereabouts were you in, in your journey as a composer when, when you wrote this piece? Was it relatively early on or had you already established your craft by this point? Uh, I, I, I'm not altogether, not altogether sure. I certainly feel that, that it was around about the time I, I was certainly into taking my music more, more seriously and taking my composing and arranging more, more seriously. Uh, so... You know, I, I'd begun to have music published uh, in the Unity series and Triumph series, uh, singing company music as well. I used to love writing for singing companies uh, in in the mid kind of to late 90s. So I, I guess I was I was becoming more industrious. Uh, I I. I, I, I think I probably found my voice by that point uh, and, and my style. I think my style is, is, is quite, quite straightforward. Uh, it's, not, it's not very, uh, a lot of the time, it's not very, not very deep. Uh, it's, it's quite, you know, uh, it's quite traditional in some ways. Uh, so probably it's, it's a signature piece in, in terms of that because it, it probably fits into the style of music that, that I tend to write. And your your day job isn't in composition, it's in something uh, completely different. So yeah. it'd be quite interesting for you to tell us a little bit about where you learned to write music and pick that up. My, much as much as Peggy said uh, earlier, you know, my, my, my parents, uh, both my both my parents were were, were music leaders uh, in 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 the course where where I grew up. My, my grand both my grandfathers were were, were bandmasters uh, as well. So music was very much a part of uh, part of my life uh, and part of my childhood. And as I became more interested in playing, uh, certainly into my early teens. Uh, I also became interested in how music was was put together uh, at, at a very young age, at a far too young age, I may add. I think I was 15, possibly 14, but I think I was 15. I was made the YP band leader at my core. Uh, so I, I had the opportunity to look at look at scores and, and begin to understand how, how scores were, uh, particularly related to the Unity series. And I had a tuba teacher at the time, Tony Swainson, uh, who, who grew up in the Salvation Army uh, and uh, was, was tuba player at the BBC Scottish Symphony for, for, for many, many years. He was my teacher uh, and he's a really useful composer and arranger. And he used to encourage me uh, as well uh, to, to try and exercise and, and, and see, if, see if I could, 
could write stuff. And I played in quintets and trios and quartets. So I would always be keen to uh, to try to try things out. And you mentioned your grandfather's influence there. His march at Norwich Citadel, in my opinion, one of the best in the repertoire. Yeah, I love it too. Uh, and uh, it, one of, a, a real thrill for me is, is uh, I think it's the, the North American Brass Band Association. Both Jubilee and Norwich Citadel are on uh, the, the list of approved marches. Uh, and it's quite nice because our names appear together, uh, obviously. Uh, so, so that's uh, that's that's quite nice. I like the march too. Fantastic. The legacy lives on. Mm. <laughs> um, so, I believe uh, this was your first ever piece to be published in the general series. As you mentioned earlier, you had already uh, had pieces published in the Unity and Triumph series before this. But did you notice any significant changes in the style you were having to write in to adapt to the larger scoring of the general series? I. I enjoy writing for, for the for the general series and, and for, for what we would nowadays call a more traditional uh, band formation. Uh, I think the the opportunity, uh, the amount of horns we've got to play with, the amount of cornet parts, the you know the amount of uh, middle of the band sound, baritone, euphonium, trombone, all all at the the, the the same pitch, allows you to kind of exercise. Quite a lot of variation in texture and 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 also mood uh, and and style of delivery, but but there is something quite enjoyable, really enjoyable about writing for smaller combinations, uh, and uh, I particularly uh, have enjoyed writing for Triumph series uh, and also for, for Unity series. And in some some respects, for me, the hardest thing is to make something sound complete and full. When you're only working with four or five parts, uh, you know it. It, it again, it, it's almost like we're trying to. When when I write for Unity series, it's almost like I'm writing for a brass choir. Uh, we're, we're trying to emulate uh, the human voice. Uh, so I enjoy. I enjoy that. I, I enjoy all all forms of uh, writing, uh, whatever I'm required to do. So looking specifically at the piece Jubilee, the tunes that you've used in this march are Be Glad in the Lord and the choruses I Love Him Better Every Day and Bound for Canaan Shore. What is the significance of using those three tunes? Glad in the Lord simply because I wanted to pick a melody that was that was uh, upbeat, that listeners uh, who were aware of the words would associate with with the concept of rejoicing, because it was it was written for a for a uh, Saint Van Centineau. As far as the choruses go, uh, I love them better every day, uh, or as my mother calls it, I I'll help my mummy all I can. Uh, she, I I would I would certainly think that that just fits the type of music. Uh, it's an old style march, so it's an old testimony chorus. Uh, and those old enough to remember uh, the days when we used to have Sunday afternoon meetings and things like that, quite often if somebody was singing I Love Him Better Every Day, somebody else in the, in the congregation would be singing I'm Bound for Canaan Shore at the same time. And somebody else would be singing The Day of Victory is Coming uh, because all three tunes go together and work together. So when I when I decided on I Love Him Better Every Day, I thought I'll stick Bound for Canaan Shore on the Glockenspiel as a bit, as a bit of fun. Really, so that's the reason I chose the music. And in a little bit, we'll be listening to a recording of the march. So those listening, uh, listen out for that little snippet on the Glockenspiel. Um, also, it's been great to see that there are some lots of uh, questions for our guests coming in on the Facebook Live comments. Uh, don't forget, if you do have any more questions for Peggy or Paul, now's your time to get them in because we'll be answering those in a few minutes. So, Paul, my next question for you is Jubilee has been published now also in the New York Sextet series. Uh, was it a challenge to you condensing the march down into these six parts? Uh, yeah, yeah, to be honest, it, it was. Uh, one, of the, one of the things, one of the, the techniques that the march uses is, is uh, first time through, or maybe be mezzo piano, second time through, it'll be forte or fortissimo. Uh, and you use your resources to, to to achieve that. So, you know, half the cornets are, are maybe out the first time through, no trombones first time through, 
you know, that kind of thing. Soprano Connick comes in second time through. When you're ranked for six parts, uh, you don't have that. So everybody's got to keep playing all the time. So it was a challenge to keep the same feel uh, for, for the piece, even though it was condensed down to six players. I think I just about got away with it, but I had to have two or three goes uh, in order to get it right. Now, for me, I think the first time I ever encountered this piece was at the Territorial Youth Band uh, back in 2011. Um, and I remember we had a challenge throughout the week to see how fast a performance we could do. And one particularly memorable one was in the final concert at the Lighthouse down in Poole, uh, where Maestro James Morley took the helm and, and we got through it blisteringly quick. What's the fastest performance you have ever heard? I think the fastest performance I've heard is, is a performance I was involved in. Uh, I was uh, conducting a band in Scotland, the Bon Accord Band, an entertainment contest. And uh, it was a 20-minute uh, programme, 20-minute musical programme. Uh, and I had selected 18 minutes worth of music. And I, I, had, I felt it was missing something. So quite late on in the process, I added Jubilee in. But I really needed to make sure that I kept it at a lick so that we would we would make sure that we didn't get any time penalties. So that went pretty fast. But I hear uh, I hear some stories from from friends in the international staff band about uh, about competitions uh, when when they toured America uh, over ten years ago with the uh, with the march to see how how quickly they could uh, they could play it uh, during that tour. A good bit of fun. Now, uh, one of my last questions to you now is: um, I believe that the piece appeared on national TV here in the UK uh, quite recently. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, last summer I think it was. I I came home from work and uh, I I had a phone call at home and it was uh, the, the a lady who I didn't know and she she picked up the phone. I picked up the phone and and, and spoke and she she introduced herself and said she was a producer from the BBC. And I thought somebody was winding me up uh, because she said, uh, we'd like to feature your music in a documentary about Prince Charles. Uh, Prince Charles at, at 70, obviously he's the Duke of Cornwall. Uh, and they had uh, uh, some, some footage of a 70th birthday celebration at one of his, uh, one of his uh, homes where the, I think it was the St. Dennis Band, uh, had come along to play some music and uh, they, the, the producers had enjoyed when they played this, this, uh, this quick march, which they assumed was hundreds of years old uh, and they probably felt they didn't need to get any copyright permissions for it. Uh, so they selected this and then were, were, were quite surprised to find out that, that uh, the composer was, was still very much alive. Uh, so so I, I got a, a request, can I, can I allow this to happen? And of course, such is the nature of Salvation Army music and Salvation Army music making and publishing, I, I had to say, uh, I said, well, I'd be delighted for you to, to, to use this in your documentary, but it's not me you've got to ask. Uh, you've got to ask uh, the, the, the Salvation Army because they own the copyright. But fortunately, uh, the Army were happy for that to happen. And it, it, it does make me chuckle that... Uh, my music was featured on a documentary about Prince Charles. I'm not exactly the biggest fan of the royal family that you've that you've ever met, so I do find that quite amusing. But I was chill, uh, chuffed all the same. Fantastic stuff! A uh, great great story that. Um, now I've just seen one of the questions we've had in on a live stream for you um, is from Chris Smith, and it says, "Paul, have you got any plans to write another quick march in the same vein as Jubilee?" Now, interestingly, my next question for you was exactly the same. And that was, <laughs> I couldn't resist the pun saying, if you wrote a third one in the set, could you resist the urge to call it Jubal 3? <laughs> yeah, uh, don't give up the day job, Matthew. That's, uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's all I'm saying. I, I, I don't know. Perhaps I will. Uh, perhaps I will one day. I've, I've, got, I've, got, I've got no plans. Uh, but I mean, I'm somebody that doesn't take my music making too seriously, uh, and and I'm 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 not I'm not an overly proud person. I'm I'm chuffed the bits that people people like this piece of music and and, and play it, and and if I could manage to to replicate that in a in a similar style uh, at some point in the future, I think I would be more than happy to do so. We'll we'll see. 
And my final question for you, a bit of a personal one, but have you got a favourite performance or recording of Jubilee that you've heard? Yeah, I've got, I've got three. Uh, Jubilee was the first piece I ever conducted in a, in a brass band recording. When, uh, when Gorgie Brand had their centenary, we, uh, we featured it on, on the band CD and I, I conducted it. So that was exciting for me. Uh, the first time I played the march on a CD was with uh, the Household Troops Band uh, back in 2002 for an American tour. So I, I enjoyed that recording as well. But my absolute favourite is uh, by the Sellers International Band uh, back in Brass in Concert in 2004, I believe, uh, conducted by uh, the great Philip McCann. Now, anybody who's, who's worked with Philip or, or knows how he works knows that he's a very uh, meticulous and fastidious man in his preparation. So in the run-up to that contest, I did get a phone call from him to, to ask me about the piece and what are the words, etc. Uh, because Philip likes to make sure he knows the words. So that was... Uh, the end result was that the band did a, a sparkling job of it, the... It won best march at, at the contest that day, uh, and I have to say that I think that's my uh, that's my favourite favourite performance, and and it's led to you know a close friendship and working relationship with Philip over the years. Uh, you know, writing for, for for some of the bands that he's been uh, he's he's been associated with. So uh, grateful for that. Fantastic stuff. And as you mentioned, that Household Troops recording, um, as we're both part of the Household Troops band, I think it would be only appropriate that we listened to that recording now of Jubilee for our listeners to enjoy. So here we have Paul Drury's Quick March Jubilee. <laughs> And uh, thank you, Paul, ever so much for your time tonight, and thank you for the music. So at this point, uh, we're going to be answering some of those questions that we've had in the comments whilst we've been broadcasting live. So it'd be great to invite Peggy Thomas back to the podcast. We've got a couple of questions to you from our listeners. Now, the first of those questions comes from Gary Rose, and the question reads, 
Um, of all the composers' music that you've played, who's, uh, which composer's music has connected with you the most? I'd say Bill, Bill Himes. Yeah, there's okay. just so much, and I'm so used to it, used to it that, yeah. Great stuff. And the second and, and final of those questions is uh, comes from Keith Brown. And the question reads, how proud are you of the young lady playing top chair in the Chicago staff band? She has a hard role to follow you. Uh, she's doing great. Uh, Beth is, uh, well, yeah, I'm, uh, several years ago, I moved down and uh, sometimes people move out and I just felt like, you know, I want to stick around and help her. And so I've been sitting second to her and she's been, she's just, she's getting better and better every year and she's, she's really doing well. Brilliant I love stuff. it. Passing on that baton. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. So, uh, Peggy and Paul, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Before you go now, Peggy, though, it's time to play Band Mastermind. Okay. The way that Band Mastermind works, you'll have one minute and 30 seconds to answer as many band and music trivia questions as you can. Now, any second, I believe a leaderboard is going to pop up on the screen, hopefully. And uh, we'll look at those, uh, everyone that's been on the podcast so far and see how they've done. So as you can see, Andrew Blythe at the top there. Um, yeah, and, sorry. Uh, okay. That's it. Sorry, there's always a delay on these Zoom things, isn't right, there? Right. Um, where would you like to come on this leaderboard here? Oh, I think probably last. <laughs> well, you know I, I, I'd love to keep, keep Philip Cobb company. <laughs> well, you know what they say, uh, set, set your standards low to avoid disappointment. Yes. <laughs> so as I said, you'll have one minute and 30 seconds to answer as many questions as you can. On a scale of one to Z, how nervous are you? 10. 10, fantastic. Well, Peggy Thomas, welcome to Band Mastermind. Your time starts now. Who held the principal cornet seat of the ISB for the longest amount of time? Oh gosh. You can always pass if you'd like to. I'll pass on that. Okay. Who wrote the march? The Seafarer. RSA? Right. Uh, incorrect, I'm afraid. Uh, ISB bandmaster Stephen Cobb is the bandmaster of which UK core? Hendon. Correct. How many heads of music editorial have there been? Uh, I don't know. Okay, Five. no. Uh, we'll, we'll move on. Uh, in which year did William Booth give the first general orders and regulations for Salvation Army bands? I have no idea. Okay, uh, we'll move on. <laughs> which composer who currently soldiers at Ringwood Court in Australia has over a hundred published brass compositions to his name? Uh, I have no idea. Okay. Uh, which famous orchestral conductor chaired and led the mass bands of Croydon, Lewisham and Upper Norwood in the Hallelujah Chorus at the Salvation Army Gathering in February 1955? <laughs> well, I was two, so I don't really know. <laughs> okay. uh, who's current editor of SA Bandworld? Uh, Andrew Blythe. Correct. <laughs> There you go. And perfect timing. So that gives you a grand total of two points, which really isn't bad in band mastermind. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost your picture. So. Oh, sorry about that. Possibly for the best. Uh, can you still hear me? OK. Yeah, I can hear you. Well, that, that's good. So if I'll just whiz through a few of those answers you didn't quite get. Um, I believe the longest uh, holding of the principal cornet seat in the ISB was uh, Dr. Stephen Cobb. Uh, really? March the Seafarer was written by Norman Bearcroft. Oh, that's right. Fantastic March. Um, there have been 12 heads of music editorial. And uh, just to list those, there was Richard Slater, Frederick Hawkes, Arthur Goldsmith, 
Bramwell Coles, Albert Jakeway, Charles Skinner, Ray Stenman Allen, Ray Bowes, Robert Redhead, Trevor Davis, Richard Phillips, and Andrew Blythe. So 12 in total. Um, William Booth gave the first general orders and regulations to Salvation Army bands in 1880. So quite a while ago there. We can forgive you for not knowing that. <laughs> Um, the composer that currently soldiers at Ringwood Court in Australia and has had over 100 published brass compositions to his name is Noel Jones. Oh, that's right. And the final one you didn't quite get was uh, the famous orchestral conductor that chaired and led the mass bands of Croydon, Lewisham and Upper Norwood in the Hallelujah Chorus at a Salvation Army gathering in February 1955 was Sir Adrian Bolt. There you go. Some particularly challenging questions there, but uh, the nature of them, they come as they are from the Book of Knowledge. Uh, got full of questions. <laughs> so thank you ever so much, Peggy, for your time. It's been wonderful to speak to you and to hear from you tonight. And also to Paul, it's been fantastic to hear from you both. Thank you. Is Paul going to come and give us a final wave goodbye? There we go. So, thank uh, you very much. Great, and thank you, as I said, for both of your time this evening. So that only leaves me to say good night and God bless.